Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, joined as always by Ann Thompson out in Los Angeles. I'm back in New York. We had Telluride last weekend, and of course, that was a wild rush. And now we're here basically to spend the entire time talking about the Matrix trailer, right, Ann? Did you get a chance to uh, <laughs> to catch up on that one? So what's the whole thing with Lawrence Fishburne? What's okay. the deal with that? This is fascinating. So Matrix was an early example of transmedia, and you really couldn't understand what happened in 2 and 3 unless you played the video games, watched the Animatrix shorts, and read the comic books. So in the video games, Morpheus actually died. So it's canon that Morpheus died. So why is Morpheus only seen in the trailer as like maybe a younger guy? Well, he's probably not there. So the world needs a new hero or something like that. I have no idea. I just read this online. But uh, it's Matisse the second who's in it. Who's in it now? <laughs> Looks like it. But we'll see. We'll see. It's nice to have something super mysterious that, uh, you know, the the film Twitter kind of cult is all fired up about because uh, it feels like every blockbuster that comes along now. Yeah. You know, my favorite thing is it's this, it's this thing that Will Smith did. It's a video where he he's interviewed talking about how he turned down the matrix and he, he reenacts the pitch meeting that the Wachowskis (laughs) gave him and why he turned it down. They were like imitating the speed time cameras and trying to tell him about how it was the bullet time, how he he was going to be in the, you know, he was going to play. I forgot all this. Neo, he was supposed yeah. to play uh, the the Keanu Reeves character, yeah. and if he had, then the the character played by Lawrence Fishburne would have been played by someone else. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about that because for Will Smith, he was doing like Men in Black back then. It would have been a he real did turning wild, point. Wild Wild West, and he yeah, exactly. It, obviously, <laughs> a very bad, bad. Probably <laughs> he had the a rough movie patch that there. he ever made. I saw that movie, and I can attest to what a terrible piece of shit it was. Well, speaking of Will Smith, the real reason we're here today is to digest our experience, tell you right, and look ahead to Toronto as this fall season continues to get more complicated and we really do see a rather fascinating award season take shape. So we came out of Telluride. I think the last time we recorded, we kind of knew this anyway, but uh, Will Smith at the center of King Richard was undeniably the most uniformly embraced Totally. thing that happened there so i mean power the of the dog of the too, best of, of the best actor race at the moment and the movie itself directed um by ronaldo marcus green is actually a really well-made authentic gritty grounded compton movie it could have been hollywoodized 
and glossified in this awful kind of mainstream way. And of course, you know, there are folks who describe this movie as mainstream. That's because it's actually a movie that plays and works and audiences at Telluride loved it. And what was so great about Telluride, Eric, was to come out of the end of that festival, having sat through the movies live with other people and having wandered around talking to people about what they liked and didn't like and have a sense at the end of the festival of what really played and what really worked. Yeah, you, and I it felt was like something... I had a confidence about that that I haven't had all year. Exactly. I mean, it was something that couldn't, it's that kind of messy organic process through which exactly. you are both talking to people at parties, some of whom might even be famous or influential in different kinds of ways, certainly a lot of whom are Academy members, but also hearing people in line, hearing how the audience reacts, things that simply cannot be replicated uh, in the virtual format. That's been a fascinating new addition to the identity of festivals, but would not have allowed us to have the information that we have now about what resonated. Power of the Dog, for example, a film that is more, I would say, challenging, let's say, than King Richard for some people, and, but and but also rigorous. really. Yeah. So so we know it's not for everyone necessarily, but it was a very respected film. I will say I heard different reactions of people on that film towards the end of the festival because well, it had gathered that's buzz. a hard sit and and one of the things it's an intellectual exercise in a way i mean it's a it's the kind of thing it's cerebral it's the kind of thing where at the end of it, it which is my jam you know you, i know me too you put it all together and you go whoa that's so cool and there's so much to discuss and the, sh this is not a filmmaker who hits you over the head with what you're supposed to think you have to figure it out for yourself and even debate it and i did an interview with her where I did write up, I did write it up and it was fun. It was so much fun to talk to her and ask her questions about what did this mean? And what was Cody Smith, Mc, Smith McPhee doing walking in front of all those cowboys twice? Why, what was he thinking when he did that? There's questions that she isn't even willing to answer in, in, you know, she told me what she thought, but it doesn't mean we have to make up our own minds. And that's the point. Yeah. She and I tell you what to think. And I think that that is, a valuable aspect of what makes the movie so compelling. I do also think that it's a movie designed to challenge people on many different levels, including by taking that West Western milieu and doing something totally different with it, which is like think it's a Western at all. Uh, it's, it's definitely using the tropes she, of the Western. She knows so. cinematically that it's a Western. What she was saying basically was that the book isn't a Western. It's set in 1925. It's it's about these businessmen, these ranchers. Um, in the book, they wear suits, right? And in the movie, only Jesse Plemons wears suits. And everything she did to make up that Benedict Cumberbatch look was from movies and and research, and and she know you know from the period uh, what people wore, you know, putting on woolly chappies and everything. Uh, so well, it isn't, look, she knew she was playing with the western as as a especially when, genre. Yeah, when you dress a guy up in leather and you think about the fact that this movie is to some degree about uh, someone's sexual identity being a in closeted flux. gay man. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Yeah. Spoiler alert, I guess. I don't know. But it, it, it is taking certain images from the Western and, and exploring their connotations in a way that I think is fresh and exciting. So that's going to be a fun one to talk about. Well, you, you got you, to talk to Cumberbatch. I did. And and uh, it was the and first time to him about playing a straight man, playing a gay man. Yeah. Which uh, is something that for many reasons is applicable to this movie, not only for his character, but Cody Smith McPhee 
And uh, and I should say that people who think that's a spoiler, it's not really a spoiler. I mean, from a plot point standpoint, from a plot standpoint, there there's a lot. There's something else that happens in this movie that would be a spoiler in terms of motivation and the sources of intrigue towards the end. That is really what what makes it. Uh, I think a satisfying narrative experience, but, uh, but I think he was very well-spoken on this subject. I don't think it's something he's going to get lambasted for in some ways because, uh, you know, Jane Campion made a very specific decision. And of course she herself is going to be very well-spoken on this, but, uh, but I am curious to see how this film comes out in the world, just like King Richard. We know King Richard will be a crowd pleaser. I, it's I guess this coming one, out on Warner brothers yeah. day and day. And it's such a shame that this movie doesn't have a chance. It may be a, a theatrical hit anyway. It, sometimes movies go out on PVOD and and do okay. Um, but but this is at, at, in theaters at the same time that the marketing enhances e- each each venue. But I still wish this this could have been a real good old fashioned between the coasts big big hit with the african-american audience everybody's gonna go to this yeah i mean i don't even think it's just the african-american audience yeah i mean iconic figures the williams sisters yeah and there's a tennis audience. i mean there's a tennis channel audience i mean that's a that's a hugely popular sport and people obviously know those characters but they don't know necessarily this origin story and they know will smith so there's so many different layers of access so it'll be fascinating to see what does the 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 hbo max component do to a movie like this that should be the kind of thing that you go see at a movie theater power of the dog is a great theatrical experience too i mean it's got a johnny greenwood score it's it's a very ominous one that uses stillness and also you know punctuates it with action and violence and in very you know, striking kinds of ways with these large canvas images. So, I mean, I'm going to try to go see that again at New York Film Festival when it plays there. That one again. So, so we've got those, and then there was Spencer, which when we recorded last time, I'd seen, and uh, and you were looking forward to. So, so that became one of the big ticket items at Telluride. It was like the hot ticket because, of course, Power of the Dog and Spencer had built up a lot of buzz out of Venice, and then they showed up, traveled across the pond, came to Telluride. You got to see Kristen Stewart. I did not, um, but uh, I, I did run into Pablo Lorraine a couple times. It's a wonderful movie. I loved it. It's my. It's like my second favorite movie of the festival. Uh, but that's one that was even more polarizing with the audience than uh, Power of the Dog was. Well, think about the hype in in this sense. I mean, people. How about something like 100 people were turned away from this movie? Were they going because they are Princess Di fans or because they wanted to see Kristen Stewart doing something? Probably a lot of different kinds of reasons. They weren't necessarily going to see this ghostly kind of fantastical take on the character. Very surreal kind of body horror. But then it also has a kind of escapist quality because it allows you to live with the idea or to sit with the idea of her almost in this heroic context of escaping the Royals. That's so it. it's, it's, it's fun to talk about and why I they creatively did movie, it. But you I think it's a misdirect to embrace it as a, an art film. Let's just be honest. And fantasy. 
and fantasy. And, and it's totally made up. Stephen Knight is, you know, it's fictionalizing something that happened, but we certainly don't know what went on behind closed doors. And I just think Kristen Stewart was incredibly good. I've been a fan of hers for a long, long time. I've always thought she was a very capable actress, and this doesn't surprise me at all. She really runs with it. But it, there is going to be a little bit of a disconnect because it, this is not a mainstream movie. So it's it's fascinating. You mentioned Kristen Stewart being around and I didn't get a sit down interview with her, unfortunately. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we rectify that at There's some point. Time. But there, there is time. But she was around. She she worked the room at a, at a neon event and then did a panel later and some Q&A's and stuff. Uh, but what was fascinating to me was that she's an actress who, as people often note, Every time she does something really impressive, people act like they're sort of discovering her talent again. It's just like an ongoing challenge. Look I mean, at she's those very, SAS films that she did, like Personal yeah. Shopper and I mean, The Clouds of Seals Maria. She wouldn't have this role without those films. I mean, those are the ones that really... Yeah, they tap into the essence of her, especially Personal Shopper shows how, you know, she can be sort of inscrutable in a really mm-hmm. fascinating way. And she brings that to Diana. But obviously, this is a role that, like a traditional biopic, she brought a lot of research. She figured out how to get inside the, the mindset and the physicality of the person and stuff. So, you know, there may be some other contenders in the best actress category and we could talk about those, but it would be kind of shocking if she didn't finally get her first nomination after what she's been doing. Absolutely. She will. And Cumberbatch will. I think Cumberbatch and, and Stewart and, and Will Smith are all in the running. I think Peter Dinklage is too. Cyrano uh. is, is definitely not... Um, a, a unanimously beloved movie because you have to be into it. You have to be into that kind of theatrical, musical, uh, you yes. know, o- overtly visual. Uh, you have to be into what Joe Wright does for a living. Uh, but otherwise, but Dinklage, I think, could break through. I want to talk about something else, which is that, you know, there. it almost seems like there's a festival within the festival at, at Telluride that is sort of the, the Oscar machine doing its thing. And then we go there and then we come out of it and we can't help but have these conversations. But, I, but, but it was not fa- the only thing that the festival is trying. It's, to. It's not the only thing. And that, there's but I, buzz building for things going on to Toronto. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to point out. I guess the, the thing is, it's like we had it. We had a year off from the way this system usually works. Uh, there are no, there is no go to golden globes this year. So presumably you're not going to see the same kind of, you know, sort of silly HFPA events, but I did wonder with all of the dinners and, and the mixers and stuff and the celebrities kind of doing the their thing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it, it, it does feel a bit like people are really leaning into how can we charm all the Academy members as much as possible in these, in these physical events now. Because, and when, and you know, when they're the, back. And the, other, the other movie, by the way, that did very well was Belfast, um, as I predicted. Um, and and Kenneth Branagh and and Jamie Dornan were working. Uh, they the worked rooms, it. Yeah. And they turned on the uh, the charm. And uh, I have to say, they're good at it, too. Um, and uh, the other person who was working this, the festival was Simon Rex, the star of Red Rocket, which we both saw at Cannes. Um, he was working the festival. He was working the dance floor. He Talk was working about the what you saw on the dance floor. Uh, I was at this party. So this is the, the Lost Daughter party, Maggie Gyllenhaal's film, and her husband, Peter Sarsgaard, 
uh, who's in the movie, very sexy and and alluring in the movie, um, went and uh, programmed uh, a selection of, of music for the dancing, and everybody they got the they got it all started, and everybody joined in. After I left, uh, Cumberbatch showed up, right? Oh yeah, he was on the dance floor. It, it, they didn't know it, it kind of felt it was fascinating to me it was like i don't know who who anticipated this but there were journalists whether it was myself or some of the other folks in the room who were kind of in the center of the action were these you know relatively well-known people whether it's maggie gyllenhaal or whoever were just letting loose on the dance floor and having this great time you usually don't see that but on some level it felt like you see it, it was on right, oscar night yeah you, you see, see it on well, golden sure. globes night that's when, when you see it when you're when you're sort of feeling free to let loose a little bit absolutely and in this particular case it kind of felt like okay so we had to show a proof of a negative test and 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 we had to be vaccinated to get in the room in the first place so suddenly it was like who cares who's here? We can actually party in a way that we haven't it, in a long time. It was time. very, very much. A, a, it a went a long unleashing, time. A release. So, you know, you saw, I started to pick I up on too. these details. Yeah, <laughs> you Simon danced. Rex. I danced. <laughs> Simon Rex was working it. Uh, you saw so many people who were just just, you know, going all out and having a great time. Although I, I did feel on some level like, are we here to do the work we're here to do, or are we here just to let loose on this dance floor? Like it almost felt like we were getting further removed from the kind of like practical function of the festival. And it became just about like, let's just, you know, enjoy the moment. It's all part of returning to normal and living with COVID at the same time. And, and so you have these practical concerns. I sent in, um, uh, you know, a, a, a test, you know, a COVID test today uh, via FedEx, you know, and I, I, I was fascinated by the Netflix COVID test, which was really super duper. You could do it at home for half an hour and and swab your own nose and stick it in a vial and stick it in this little machine and get a response back in 30 minutes. Yeah, it was was amazing. But what I want to say is this, uh, people were hugging a lot, people were really happy to see their friends. It's a film community. And it operated on all the different levels that you've described. And everyone was feeling the same thing. They were feeling really grateful and and happy and and almost you know comforted to to be with each other and I got to see some friends and I got to do interviews and I got to sit in movies shoulder to shoulder with people that I care about and it just felt so great um, and it felt great to be able to do my job too and have a sense of what was really going on because you need audiences I guess and so, people to get that sense yeah I, I agree with all of that I guess what what I'm trying to sort out is that there is still an issue with the degree to which the kind of large-scale award season complex can dictate the most exciting moments at the festival like to me okay i i saw this the bigger movies and we've talked about them and we'll be talking about them a lot but the most exciting moments for me were the discoveries something like Marcel the Shell, yeah, which I've talked on about, top of or that. That Bitter Brush. Very well, by the way, at the end of the festival, everyone was talking about it. Or Bitter Brush, which was a documentary that is another it's another sales title about uh, women cowgirls in Idaho. Uh, yeah, I saw that before the I on the, on the off season. Beautiful film. So, so these kinds of movies. When we as we head into Toronto, which you know, unfortunately, we're not on the ground there, but again, the. One fraction of the lineup are these bigger movies. So much more about the festival environment is actually 
built around discovery. It has to be for the launch pad of so many of these films. So something that I come out of the pandemic thinking is what can we do to make sure that we don't sort of spend the entire season, especially the season that's sort of dominated by the Oscar conversation, exclusively focusing on these movies, because we know that's not it. That's not the whole story. Look, I'm looking forward. uh, So what's going on is we're back from TIFF. Listen to me. We're back from the ter- Telluride, um, and about Tiff to get into top Tiff. of us. Yes. Yeah. So we're in it now. There's a, there's a virtual screening platform as they did last year. So we're back on there. There are a lot of films on there. Sony Pictures Classics has all their films on there. So I'm looking forward to seeing Compartment Six, which was one of the films from Cannes that I missed. Um, one of the films I missed in Telluride is The um, Electrical Life of Lewis Wayne, which is another Cumberbatch movie that he produced. I'm looking forward to catching a cat person movie. Tiff. A cat person right. movie. I so, uh, so there's all sorts, you know, there's The Guilty, is it Tiff? Eyes of Tammy Faye, is it Tiff? Um, you know, there, there's lots of stuff. I'm already, you know, booking interviews and, and getting going on that. So that's the next uh, hill. But for me, but for me, it's like, all of that is great. But I also, I, I feel like the danger is that in looking at just those movies, we don't realize sometimes how much more there is to the festival. I mean, like what I'm looking forward to is a documentary called Beba. That's uh, a first time feature in the documentary section. That's uh, a sort of a personal story about a woman dealing with her kind of her Latin American heritage and how she's assimilating into the United States, which sounds super timely has, you know, no real track record. It, It really needs festival buzz to get out there. That's the kind of stuff that really excites me. It's something like that or earwig from uh, Lucille has Halalovich. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her last name, but I really liked her last film evolution. She does these crazy uh, body horror films from a young woman's perspective. And uh, after Titan, I'm all about that. So that's going to Titan's going to be in the midnight section in Toronto. So, you know, oh, are these awards movies? See that. That's exciting. It wasn't yeah. a, a Telluride. Well, um, that's a must see, but of course, um, from Julia de Carnau. Um, the, the thing about Red Rocket and, and, and Titan is that they're both movies that are so outrageous in some ways and in terms of their subject matter. That um, I, I I hope everybody checks them out. There were walkouts gets, on yeah, Red Rocket, it. but people also loved it. And well, it was fun to talk Tan about. It's going to have the same impact. Yeah, they're fun to talk about. I mean, and, and I guess the other part of it is this question of you know if they don't if Titan doesn't become the French Oscar submission. Is it still something that we can spend award season talking about because we think of it course. deserves recognition? It's one of the best movies of the year, and I'm expecting so, the critics at the end of the year to reward to embrace it. it. I'm really yeah. ca- counting on it. And, and remember, we've talked about this already. The Gotham's and the Spirits are going to be more important now that the and the Critics Choice Awards are going to be more important now that the uh, Golden Globes are no longer part of the picture. the The thing about the Golden Globes, not to make. Um, too much of it, but but they did bring up oh, make names. something of it. <laughs> they they did introduce people into the conversation that were sometimes worthy, and uh, so that's the function of these uh, other award shows is to introduce people and make sure that they're seen. Well, I always like I've said in the past, I always appreciate that we have the Gotham Awards, that we have the critics groups uh, in particular, because these the processes behind them are less dictated by FYC campaigns and more by kind of what people are seeing, what they're talking about. And that's a more open ended 
system, then sometimes it leads films to actually build up to real awards momentum. It's remember you talk about FYCs and you talk about how people spend and you talk about how we talk too much about the awards, which I agree with you uh, totally. And if we can find other things to talk about, I'm happy to do it. Um, But but the point is is that all of this is a function of getting those Academy voters to actually see the movies if we want them to get into that race. Well, you know, we were on the street with the Academy voter who we, we don't have to name, who was saying, you know, I get really frustrated when I see the same people all the time getting those DGA nominations, for example. Like there is a sense within the Academy from people who don't want this sense of, you know, predictability. Well, the, but the but the director's branch of the Academy is one of the good ones in terms of recognizing well, from people from other countries. Like at least Ovada, they do Almodovar that. and and uh, Pavlikovsky and and Quaron and yeah. Hitu and uh, you know all of and them. And they'll have plenty of options rewarded. this time. I mean, you could see Julia DeCurno, Pedro Almodovar with his movie that opened Venice. You got Jane Campion. I mean, there, there's plenty of good options. The question is what now some what's going to get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. Out of, some of my discoveries out of Telluride included El Gran Feove, which is a Cuban music documentary directed by, of all people, Matt Dillon. <laughs> but he the did randomness a really, of really good job. Um, and I interviewed him up there. He, this guy is a major music nerd. Imagine someone on the level of Barry Levinson and Diner, you know, that kind of, of, of you know, just huge catalog of knowledge uh, that he put to use uh, in this wonderful story of this Cuban musician who goes to Mexico. Feyove, a scat musician. And then the other, um, did you see the Peter Hedges? I didn't see that was the one that was in Zoom, right? It was a, a, That's right. a pandemic That's movie. Right. That yeah. was a very innovative, the same storm. And That's it's it definitely called. a COVID movie shot yeah. during the pandemic. And it's an odd thing that's written, but but acted, but acted very realistically uh, via uh, Zoom windows and with each other responding live to each other on, may it on, be the last and best so we can move on is all it I needs to, it needs distribution right uh, so uh, that's that's up for grabs i certainly was fascinated I looking see a streamer at, taking it yeah yeah so. i mean i was fascinated by seeing movies that were made in the past year that were not in zoom thankfully but uh were certainly made during the pandemic and you could Belfast see that, is one. Yeah, a lot of them were and they were smaller in some ways or more personal in, in, in others. It kind of felt like you didn't have to explicitly acknowledge what was going on in the past year for people to be tackling subject matters that were like a direct extension of that. And so, you know, one benefit to the award season thing and people repeating themselves over and over again as they promote things is that the conversation may end up being directed towards like moving forward how you've become a, you know, a better artist or more in touch with the kind of stories you want to tell. And that seems like a constructive direction for everybody to go. So I think you know. I'm sure you had the same conversations. Um, I was definitely picking up from a lot of the artists I talked to a sense that the pandemic changed them and made them want to spend their time on things that they really cared about and not waste it on things that didn't matter to them. And I think that could have an enormous impact. By the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg, what we've seen. These are the films that happen to be finished in time. Just getting started. There's a whole lot of 
other stuff that that got create written and hasn't even been made yet or stuff that yeah. got made that hasn't been finished yet one movie that i'm curious to know what you thought about is the mike mills come on come on yeah we watched that together i mean i uh it's beautiful the black and white cinematography is amazing uh i liked it in bits and pieces i thought that it had a hard time driving home the overall kind of point about the it was, you know walking phoenix sort of uh as the uncle to this like overeducated kid or over he's been for, you forced you call by him his, spoiled pampered and bratty too yeah well there's that too but i mean he's very well spoken because his mother played by gabby hoffman quite well i thought uh, she was good. Has, has raised him the that way. The actors were all good. The actors I, were, and I, were, did a great job. I think it's got some really good moments where it captures the issue with a child being raised that way. Is he still he's still a kid, even though he's been sort of taught to think like an adult. And when you see those disconnects around New York City, you know, he has tantrums. Joaquin's character loses him sometimes it is really affecting. And I think it, it arrives somewhere that is emotionally resonant. So I appreciate that Mike Mills films always have this delicate touch. I just wish this that there was, was a, a little, little bit more for me. There was a little, there, it's sort of lacking a through line, I think overall that or, that's sort or of a challenge. reason for engagement. I mean, I would say one of the films that really didn't play well at the festival was, as I had predicted, Eric was the French dispatch. And it, in, in each case, I think the problem is the same. They are beautiful, extraordinarily difficult to pull off, uh, you know, gorgeous visuals. And, and you know that there's an enormous amount of skill involved and yet they lack engagement. Um, is that goes with the territory when you have short stories uh, strung together. But in this case, it's this long sort of rambling uh, road movie that doesn't really um, pay off. Oh, it's not a road end. movie, but Robbie but Ryan happened is to be city locations. Robbie Ryan is the cinematographer. Ryan, of course. He did an amazing job uh, using black and white, I think, to sort of accentuate some of the, the, the feel of the movie. And I really love that Joaquin is this sort of like documentary audio documentary journalist of sorts. And it looks like they're interviewing real kids for the project. That I mean, part was fun. It's I very, very that. involving that in bits idea. and pieces. I look, I also often say that consensus is boring. I don't care if French dispatch didn't play well. Tell you right. I, I can't wait to see it again. I think it's super engaging in a way that, that Wes Anderson films usually are. And it's his most liberated. It doesn't try to coalesce into a single narrative. He just creates a world and plays around. Budapest Hotel. What he did there was a, was a similar feat uh, in terms of, of of using the Ray Fiennes character to unite all the different stories that swirled around him. And you would go off on these detours, but you always came back to the central location and the central character. That doesn't happen here. It doesn't well, work. It does. There is a wraparound. The wraparound is the Bill Murray character who at the beginning of the movie, not a spoiler alert, is dead. And yet you see him pop up as a recurring character throughout and you see his inv investment in the stories that are happening. And then by the end of the movie, you care. I cared about his role in making those stories impactful. And I, I do think there is there is some truth to that. It's just a different movie. It's not. I think it's, it, you know, we always do this. We, we say when somebody makes a movie we love, we say, oh, this one isn't as good as that one. And I don't or know in this particular this case this is repetitive. Or we say, I didn't find it repetitive before. at all. It's, it certainly isn't repetitive. I'm repetitive of his previous work. I'm talking I about. I didn't find that at all. Last night I watched, um, for whatever reason, I watched Woody Allen's Rainy Day in New York 
the reason is that I'm looking. <laughs> I knew we were going to get around to this. <laughs> speaking to Timothy Chalamet at some point uh, about Dune, that would be my hope. Um, so, uh, which I loved, 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 loved Dune. Um, no, you know, David. We can Taylor argue about that one. A very witty review, which is very entertaining, but uh, I disagree with him profoundly. In any case, um, it's kind of dull. Woody, if you look at a Woody Allen movie these days, this has been true for a long, long time. It's a formula, you know, from the typeface on the on the graphics at the beginning of the movie to the way that the music is used, the way that he always has this character doing a running monologue across the the course of the movie, that it's a male character who is a some kind of surrogate for his voice, who has to try to make his voice work. And then there's various women that are being hit on by various men in the movie. This is all Woody Allen, and it's always the same, and it never changes. Rarely, so well, you know, um, he had that. I think Wes, Wes Anderson is in danger of becoming that guy. I, I don't, I don't know if that's that fair. He's I mean, doing the same thing every time. I don't. I, I, I mean, I just don't find find that at all. I mean, look, the first of all, Woody Allen had that amazing period in the eighties where he certainly yeah, we was. Love those period. Moving we love around. that period, and there's he and Wes Anderson's not a very old guy. After another, but when was the last good Woody Allen movie? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, Midnight in Paris wasn't that long ago, and he won the Oscar for that. Let me change the word. Great. Let's say great. great. Let's say like at a certain level. I would say that the most overall gratifying piece of filmmaking he did was probably Match Point, which wasn't that long ago. I didn't care for Match Point, so my last one was Constructing Harry. Well, that's a long time ago. My mind. And that that one divided people. Great. Woody Allen movie. That one did divide people, though. It's it's uh, the most uncomfortable he's been on camera, I think, ever. So, but but look, we will probably be arguing about Wes Anderson films, hopefully for years to come. He's not that old of a guy. He's Woody Allen's in young, his late 80s. And he's got a lot of gifts, and I'm looking forward to seeing him try something new. Look, the other one I loved was was um, <laughs> God, don't help me. The animated one with the dogs. Fox. Isle of Dogs. Oh, uh, Isle of Dogs. And I love right. the fantastic Mr. Fox too. I love those movies. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, he doesn't have to win you over every time to be in danger of losing his touch or whatever. Maybe he doesn't get you every time. But this one, I'm happily going to be the the one to, to keep pushing but back because I think it's got a lot going on. It may have been a mistake, though, for Searchlight to take it to Ted. Yes, yes. It, it that, that's actually a perfect well movie. Can. Or in New York Film Festival, I would say. Exactly. So the, what the did the they need Telluride for? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? In any case, so next week, uh, we'll be on the other side of TIFF and we'll have a bunch to talk about. I mean, we'll see what wins the audience prize. Always a fascinating open question, even in a year like this. And uh, you'll be t- checking out the uh, the awards tributes. So they've got Jessica Chastain and a bunch of others that you're going to be looking at. and Villeneuve. And Villeneuve. So we'll see what kind of impact that has. And uh, we'll be trading notes. We may not be hoofing it on the streets of Canada, but We're we certainly covering. hope We're that it goes We're well. definitely covering. Yeah, we'll be all, right. all Thanks, over Thanks, Eric. Bye. Talk to you anon. Indeed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.